Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary practice issues. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP, and its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. Welcome to AJHP Voices. My name is Daniel Koba, and I'm the editor-in-chief of AJHP. Today, we'll be discussing the two-part AJHP practice research report on the decision-making framework and the formation and validation for an acute care clinical pharmacist productivity model, which was recently published on AJHP.org. Our guests today are Tyler Vest, Pharmacy Manager, Automation, Medication Distribution, and Controlled Substances at Duke University Hospital, Kayla Waldron, Assistant Director, Acute and Ambulatory Clinical Services, UNC Healthcare, and Adrian Simmons, Director of Programs for the National Viral Hepatitis Roundtable at the Hepatitis Education Project in Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome, everyone. Thank Good you so much for having us. Absolutely. Good morning. Before we get started, Adrian, I want to just ask you one question. You're currently at the Hepatitis Education Project, but you were working on this project when you were an HSPA resident at UNC, correct? Yes, that's correct. I did a two-year health system pharmacy administration and leadership residency at UNC and just graduated last June. And then the, the validation component of this project, was, which really came along second, that was your master's project. Do I have that right? That's correct. And Tyler, if I recall correctly from our conversations, that the first part, really, the, the framework was your master's project when you were an HSPA resident at UNC as well. Yeah, that, that is correct. About five years ago, uh, we started this journey to lead this project. And the first part was my master's project. And Kayla, you oversaw it all as the, the leader responsible for, for this area of focus, right? Yes, that's correct. And I was fortunate that they came back to back. So it really ended up being this four-year-long contiguous project uh, that we were able to sequence. So Kayla, why is it so difficult to calculate clinical pharmacist productivity? And why does it take a four-year-long project to really to come up with, with these measures? This is one of my favorite questions that I actually will, um, when I do this topic discussion with my learners, this is how we started. So it's a perfect question for me to uh, even get to talk about. I think broadly, even just calculating productivity for pharmacy is challenging because there is not sort of that silver bullet that there's not that just one thing that all pharmacy pharmacists or pharmacy technicians do. I think the variety of um, responsibilities and functions that pharmacists serve and play within the within their organization makes that sort of universally challenging. And then when we think about our clinical pharmacists, many of the roles and responsibilities that they execute within their organization maybe are not captured in a electronic fashion or in a mechanism that would allow it to then be automated. So I think because there is such just a variety and then often the lack of electronic or automated tool makes it sort of doubly challenging. And then so that's sort of why it took us sort of these four years to really go through this was first just putting it together, that structure of what we were trying to find, what we were looking for, and really laying out that framework of we didn't want to focus on 
anything that was going to require new new forms of documentation or or sort of generate new data. So we were really looking for existing data, existing information that we could dig into. And then another piece that was really important to us was that we wanted something that was going to sort of hold up against all of the various groups that might sort of poke holes in it. So, and first and foremost was that we needed our clinical teams to feel confident about it. We needed them to feel like that productivity tool that was coming out, um, that measure reflected their work, that they could see their day-to-day work in it. And so in order to engage a large number of people, it's going to take a fair amount of time. And that was a hallmark piece for us. We wanted our clinical staff to be involved the whole way through the project. And so you've got to build in that time, that time for them, that time for them to be able to participate, and then to be able to sort of coordinate all of those individuals. So roll it all together and it ends up being four years (laughs) that it takes. And we'll get into really how you integrated the the clinical staff in a in a few minutes. But were there other measures that you were using previously at UNC that you tried out? And I guess because you had to go and develop this clinical productivity measure, those those didn't work out so well. Yeah, in the time that I have been here, we've used a handful. Um, when I originally started, the really universal pharmacy productivity measure was weighted dispenses, so doses that we dispensed from our pharmacies, um, and that was used universally. We had a changeover of our electronic medical record quite a few years back, um, which really sent that by the wayside. And we've, I feel like, been in a journey ever since then of rebuilding. So, and I think what really lit the fire under us um, to begin looking at a new model was we were using this adjusted patient days, um, which was something that we couldn't see. It came out after we'd already worked, after, you know, after all paychecks had been sort of released, then you would get a report at the end of a pay period of here's how you stood up to adjust the patient days. And it was this complex calculation. And so every time we would try to explain why our productivity was off, it became just more and more clear that uh, this tool, this measure just wasn't matching up. And that was really what was sort of in place as Tyler was coming in and, like I said, sort of lit that fire under us to begin looking for an alternative measure. Got it. So, so Tyler, let's talk about that fire a little bit. What were, when you look at the framework project and what were the initial aims of that component of the study? I think overall, you know, the vision of the entire project that we started in 2016 is to kind of re-envision if there's a new standard for pharmacist productivity and kind of understanding how we might, what we might be pursuing, like how does that pharmacy-specific productivity model accurately reflect clinical pharmacist productivity? And I think that, you know, when we looked at this in 2016, um, when we, we, it became very close that this was going to be, going to need to be a a multi-part project from the outset. So when we're looking at, you know, capturing clinical pharmacy productivity with the goal of not only just developing, but validating productivity model, we started to scope what became um, a four-year project, which, you know, we're, we're very excited to be able to talk about today. And so when you look at the, the first project and, and around the, the framework, it's really kind of a couple different steps. So the first one is, you know, identification of kind of understanding like what our clinical pharmacists are doing and, and where are they spending their time and then doing some validation around does that 
perception of where the time's being spent actually match and then weighting some of that activity to better understand, you know, what might be more time consuming or be more kind of where some activities might take longer than others. So our overall purpose, again, was to develop, validate, and, and implement this uh, productivity model. But um, the first part, we really wanted to determine those um, responsibilities of the clinical pharmacist at UNC Medical Center and validate that through direct observation. So let's start there then. How did you go about determining what those responsibilities of the clinical pharmacist were? We used a process called the Delphi method, which is, I think, pretty becoming more prevalent in the pharmacists or the pharmacy literature per se. We initially looked at, you know, we wanted this to be pharmacy driven, right? And we wanted this to be representative of the model. So the most important thing from the outset was to engage clinical pharmacists, not only on our project teams, but all of the the, the individual focus groups that we had. So at UNC, there's a model um, for a lot of different activities that we do to where uh, individuals will represent their groups. So considering that was kind of a model we already had in place at the time, we made the decision to to reflect the the group to to do that. So um, the group is very that was participated in the Delphi method is is very reflective across all the disciplines. So when you think about pediatrics or oncology or critical care, cardiology, and then also even looking at some of the experience and and even the training that some of these individuals have had. Um, so we try to have that as most representative of our department as possible. And then uh, those individuals went through a a Delphi process. Now, the managers over the clinical areas, they recommended the different members for inclusion into the process, but then um, the individuals were able to either select or self-select out by by invitation. So Kayla, at UNC, do you have a generalist model, a specialist model? What type of model do you have at UNC? Yeah, I would tend to think of it as a more of a clinical specialist model. We have pharmacists in a significant number of subspecialties really spread across the entire organization. And we embed our pharmacists on a service with a medical team, and they really become a part of of that team. And so um, I would say the other way we often refer to our our model is that we're a service-based model. Um, We don't cover geographic areas. We cover specific teams. And so that then sort of matched up with what Tyler was describing, that our pharmacists become very heavily integrated into different service lines. That's allowed us to not only, um, and we, we use this in a lot of things, our committees, and when we collect feedback, we will sort of pull um, individuals from those service lines, uh, and then they're sort of tasked with representing their group, other individuals who practice in critical care or cardiology. But yeah, so sort of the service base and heavily reliant upon um, our clinical, clinical pharmacists who are embedded within those teams. Got it. So then, Tyler, diving down into the Delphi process, what did you have the participants do to really begin to delineate what the responsibilities were that would get included on the list? Sure. So I think that the Delphi process really started before we we kind of got in, into a room. So, you know, I, I think that 
Kayla and I, when, when we began this journey, we were very interested in like, what is all the work that is being done? Right. Because we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, at least starting to quantify and characterize things appropriately. And, and again, remember going back to that initial vision of we wanted to have a pharmacy specific productivity model. So we thought it was very important to understand from the outset of like, what are all the activities or responsibilities or, you know, what, what whatever word you want to use to understand. So we really began with trying to understand for every Delphi member that accepted of to list and describe all of the activities that they are partaking in on a daily basis. So we had direct patient care activities, we had education, we had activities with pharmacy residents, pharmacy students, research, quality improvement, uh, different institutional and professional service and different professional development. And then we also had another category. So this gave us about a thou over thou several thousand responses that we had to work with and characterize into kind of working, I guess, headers and in kind of what goes in. Now, obviously some of these responses were duplicative, right? And so we could we could rearrange and, and make things kind of whole that way. Following, once we had all of those responses, what we really did is we took those down and distilled them down to a unique list of 56 di distinct acute care um, responsibilities was the term we started using. And so we, we still had those direct patient care, education, quality improvement, professional development, research, uh, precepting and training, service, and, and kind of other categories, but we were able to kind of um, coalesce this underneath those headings. So there are kind of 56 individual activities underneath those headings. Now, once we got to a point where we, we were comfortable with that, you know, we, we kind of shared that with the group. And then um, one day we got into a room and we kind of went through the Delphi process. So round one, um, everyone just selected 30 of what they thought were the top 56 activities. So they didn't necessarily have to rank them, but, they, you know, it was kind of in this is in the top 30 and this is not in the top 30. And then once we went through that, that round of exercise, it was, okay, here we showed the group, here's the top 30. We didn't have any discussion at that time. And then we said, what are the top 20? So kind of, again, what's in, what's out? And then once we did that, we again showed the list and then the group ranked the list. And so we kind of uh, then had a rank list order of the, the perceptions per se of, you know, a, a large gr group representative of our staff, about 50% of our clinical pharmacists participated in the Delphi, and they were able to categorize kind of, you know, w some sort of like rank order associated with in terms of the, the workload effort that occurred. And then we kind of had some discussion about that, that list. And so then we really used that list to drive uh, the rest of the project. So you start to talk about workload, Tyler, and, and earlier you mentioned time as well. I mean, time came into play. So how did you go about measuring uh, the time required for each of these responsibilities so that that could be included into the model? It's important that we have the perception of, you know, what is the work being done and what is taking time intensive, but it's also important to understand the amount of time that is these activities are are taking in, in reality and in and having some correlation between are there activities that need to be adjusted? So, like I said, we had the, the first uh, rounding activity, and then we went through an exercise 
where we had the ranking order and we try we decided to validate that if that's in reality so through direct observation um, we had the study that or well, we, we had members of the study team uh, really look at and measure directly shadowing pharmacists of okay this was ranked number one but in reality how much time is this taking and then we did that with every single activity and there were some that were um, adjusted but I would say for you know the most part uh, that that I think that the the perceptions of how things, how the clinical pharmacists felt that they were taking time kind of match. One of the things that was kind of a mismatch was some of the things around um, the precepting. And we think that that's uh, a little bit more uh, seasonal in response with the time we did the direct observation. So, you know, there are some activities that the clinical pharmacists do that are very time intensive. One of those you can think of is resident training. Um, This year, the uh, UNC program has 42 residents. And so that's a massive effort to train all of those residents. But that only occurs one time a year, right? Usually in the the later half of June and the beginning of July. And while it's important that we wanted to have those things reflective uh, because of how much time and intensity they can take, it's also important um, to make sure that, you know, we have a model that's sensitive enough to kind of account for some seasonalities. So it doesn't show that we're overproductive or underproductive one way or another based off of, you know, maybe who's looking at verifying an order, who's rounding on with the patient. That's how we went through that exercise. Got it. Got it. So, so Kayla, I'm, I'm interested to ask you, as you were sitting there, I don't know if you actively participated or if you took a step back and observed, but any any surprises when you looked at, you know, 50 members of your team who were uh, sitting in there and working through a consensus process to narrow down to 20 activities, uh, what the most, um, you know, what the most common were? Any Any surprises there for you? I think for me, the surprises were um, actually the that there was more commonality than sometimes I think that, that maybe or that the group had thought that there would be before they walked in the room. Um, I think it, it ended up being this uh, good opportunity to realize that although there are variations in um, the types of patients and um, the some of the the fine details on our services that our pharmacists broadly were doing um, some pretty similar things, and that maybe they found some uh, common threads that had sort of been lost over the years as our team had grown so big and then become very spread out, and so it almost became this um, reminder of we're all sort of doing these very similar things uh, together. So it's actually the surprise really was that a lot of our services had a lot more in common than I think maybe most of the team had thought over the years. And I would say the, the only other big, I guess, maybe surprise was Honestly, how every once in a while, how passionate um, some of our our team members were over um, where sort of where they spent their time and and what uh, maybe what constituted um, a, a significant portion of their day. So, although you'll sort of as the model went on, we we really focused on the clinical pieces. Um, there were some uh, in the direct patient care. There were some big takeaways for me on um, some of their additional responsibilities. Everything from the time that they spent, you know, in email or tracking things down, or um, just some of the 
even some of their committee responsibilities. It was helpful for me to sort of have those other elements in the back of my mind for other opportunities for us to, when we think about maybe taking some workload off of our pharmacists, that it wasn't just about the, their patient care responsibilities, that some of the other workload that is sort of on their plates was maybe some of the more administrative tasks that we, we sort of needed to look at as well. So turns yeah. out to be really enlightening, doesn't, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So, so Tyler, what's the bottom line? What were some of the top things that showed up on that that list of responsibilities? You've mentioned rounding, you've mentioned precepting, but what what were uh, when you look at a productivity model? What were a few of the top items? Yeah, so I think that you know a lot of the things that ended up towards the the top twenty, you know, are the things that you would expect an acute care clinical pharmacist to be spending a lot of time doing. You know, rounding profile review, which can either, you know, be time spent getting ready for rounds or also doing some activities, you know, um, associated with, you know, maybe dosing of certain medications, um, documentations that that can either be, you know, documentation in electronic health record, documentation in terms of consult notes, maybe responding to certain types of message within the electronic health record, and then maybe some intra-departmental communication that can be either inside or outside of the, the health record, and then order verification, um, was obviously, you know, another activity that can be all across the board from entering orders to verifying them, getting clarification, you know, working through the, the clinical guidelines of the institution. And then we have at UNC, there's a there's a large focus on um, transitions of care and, you know, the, the med rec process, the discharge, both the admission and discharge, education, counseling, transitions. There's a tightly, uh, tightly connected group of outpatient pharmacists that work with the acute care pharmacist to make sure that there's there's a seamless handoff. And so that those are really the things that that round off the top five. And interestingly, when you look at that uh, that top five, and when we did the direct observation, there was only one adjustment, and that was that the bottom two and the top five just switched places. So I think that we feel very comfortable that not only is that perception true that these are the activities that they're really spending their time on, but also um, from a validation standpoint, and when we looked at direct observation. That that the, the the time being spent and the perception are accurate. Okay, that's interesting because that was actually going to be my next question to you. That when you went and compared what came out of that that discussion in a conference room to the direct observation, were there any discrepancies? And so, not many is what I'm I'm hearing you say, right? Yeah, I think that um, there are there really weren't that many, Dan. Um, you know, there there were some that moved around in the middle, and and I would say that you know you're kind of thinking that for the most part things are moving in kind of that plus or minus two, two to three range. Now, there are some things that, that move a little bit more. Like we, we mentioned the, you know, kind of resident training and, and some of the education due to the seasonality of when we collected that observation data. Kayla, did you want to add anything? Nope. I think you, I think you hit it. It was the things that we saw move were the items that have sort of that seasonal nature because we we had sort of swapped out, we were doing we were doing training versus precepting, you know, which really just happens in that one um, particular time of year, um, and that really just had to do with when we did those observations. So, uh, but otherwise, yeah, the the those top items 
stayed place and sort of held out as we did all observations, because we even did observations with our evening teams as well, to make sure that the model was going to work for them, that distribution of clinical responsibilities that was in there also was going to sort of hold up as we pulled in information from our evening teams and observation, and that, that held steady. Interesting. Interesting. So, Adrian, all of this foundational work is done, and you come along as an HSPA resident, and you have the responsibility for validating the model. So, maybe let's start before we jump into how you validated it, but talk about what actually was in the productivity model when it was handed off to you for validation. Sure thing. Thanks, Dan. At this point, um, after we had identified the broad list of responsibilities and and narrowed those down based on time intensity as well as complexity, we ultimately reached a, a decision point in which we had to reach consensus around what were some optimal characteristics of this productivity model, because that would ultimately guide us and tell us what should be included. And so we did that by working with our clinical team to define those characteristics. And, and the four characteristics that we came up with were, one is that it, it needed to capture clinical activities. We've talked about this over and over again. This model is very much representative of patient care responsibilities. We also talked about the importance of it being automated. Um, from a sustainability standpoint, we wanted something that could easily be maintained beyond Tyler and my time at UNC as, as residents. But we also thought it was important for people to have real-time access to this data because that was one of the challenges with some of our previous productivity metrics is that you know they would lag by a month or two and you couldn't really make decisions uh, based on, on old data. We also wanted it to use data from our electronic medical record. And then finally, we had to make sure that we were selecting measures that would actually be sensitive enough to detect changes in outputs um, when labor inputs change. So essentially, we should see changes in workload if we have more or less staff working. And so keeping those four characteristics in mind, um, we ultimately, after Tyler's work in this project and identifying those responsibilities, as well as the, the actual work outputs that would be representative of those responsibilities, we had a list of 27 work outputs. And so there were 27 work outputs that went into the validation phase. And these measures ranged from things related to all of the responsibilities that, that Tyler mentioned, such as rounding and transitions of care and, and order verification. Um, and as you can imagine, there, there's a lot of granularity when you think about you know, order verification. There's a lot of nuance in that. You know, Are we talking about um, new orders verified or discontinued orders? Are we talking about orders that pharmacists themselves were inputting? Or are we talking about just clicking the button and, and verifying it? And so there was a lot of discussion around um, how granular we wanted to get on these measures. But ultimately, going into the validation phase, we had 27 work outputs to work with. Okay. And then how did you actually go about the validation process? Absolutely. So the validation process was perhaps one of my, my favorite parts of this of this project. And I think that I learned a lot, certainly as a resident, but also from, from the data management side, uh, it was a great opportunity uh, and learning experience for me. And so to validate the model, we did a multivariable linear regression to getting at that fourth characteristic that I mentioned, was, which was determining whether or not the model is actually sensitive enough to detect changes. And so we used the linear regression 
input those 27 work outputs, and then analyze it to see, you know, what are the changes and what is significant and what is not significant, and ultimately, what should we remove from the model? And so we did that um, a number of times and, and ultimately removed a total of 10 of those 27 work outputs for a, a final uh, number of 17 work outputs that were included in the model. Once we landed on those, those 17 work outputs, again, based on what was significant or not, but also using some practical application as well, you know, if there was a measure that was not significant, but it was perhaps related to a significant metric, it was important for us to include both of those measures. And so once we landed on our final uh, or our preliminary 17 work outputs, we selected a period of one year to actually run the model itself. And we strategically selected a period of one year to account for any changes in um, seasonality fluctuations, like, you know, we have residents that are training during a certain part of the year, or there are certain parts of the year where a lot of pharmacists are on vacation, and so we have less staff, less staff working. And so we needed to determine what is our baseline productivity, and we thought the best way to do that was to select a full year of data. And so that's ultimately uh, what we use to validate the model, this combination of a linear regression, but then also using a year's worth of data um, to make sure that that we were seeing expected changes based on what we knew was happening in, in the real world during certain parts of the year. And there was a waiting step as well, correct? There was a waiting step, and the waiting step is a really important one. Um, this continued to build on the consensus method that we had used throughout the project. And the, uh, the point of the waiting was to really ascribe value to each of these work outputs that would ultimately, ultimately make up the model. Um, and those weights were determined based on time intensity as well as complexity of the activity itself. And so there are some there are some work outputs that take more time than others, and so as a result, they should have a higher value in in the model. And so we again used a, a consensus panel to determine the the weighting of all seventeen metrics um, relative to one another, and we used a combination of both small groups and and large groups um, of a, a group of ten pharmacists that. Um, there was a diverse representation from from clinical service lines, um, and so ultimately those those weightings were developed and, and assigned by clinical pharmacists who were doing those work. So, Adrian, when you take a step back and you look at this, were there were there limitations to the work that you that you did that would have to be considered as others try to replicate your model? As with any work, there, there are a few limitations to keep in mind. The first, I think, is that we included many pharmacists in this work and, and tried to be as representative as possible, but we didn't include all pharmacists in this work, which means we inevitably have omitted some perspectives. I like to think about it as um, I work in the advocacy space, and, and so it's a little bit like Congress. Um, in the Delphi method, we used a number of pharmacists that was proportionate to the number of pharmacists in each service line. So kind of like the House of Representatives um, in the later consensus panel around waiting, um, we used two pharmacists per service line. So a little bit closer to the Senate. But again, this was not all of the pharmacists in our department. Similarly, Kayla talked about the length of this project um, and the importance of engaging pharmacists throughout. And um, that is very much something that we kept in the forefront. However, um, as with any four-year-long four project, 
you do run into challenges around staffing, um, staff turnover, for example, and engaging the same group of pharmacists throughout the project. And then finally, this project is also very dependent on having a strong data analytics team. Um, we are very fortunate to have a strong analytics team at, at UNC, and, and they were a crucial part of the success of this model. Um, and without them, I don't think that we would have been nearly as successful as, as we were. So um, it is predicated on having a strong data analytics team. And what an important part. There, there are so many opportunities for health systems and pharmacy enterprises and health systems today. And especially when you see multi-hospital health systems with an abundance of data, but that data analytics support is absolutely critical. And I'm, I'm really glad that you raised that. We've, we've emphasized that in other areas, the ASHP, ASHP Foundation Pharmacy Forecast Report in a chapter that was led by Janet Carmichael last year really talked about that. And you'll see that coming out again in the, the next Pharmacy Forecast Report. So I'm really glad that you emphasize that data analytics component. So Kayla, you talked about the consistency that you witnessed uh, with the team at UNC. And Adrian really walked through, you know, some of the key features that UNC was looking for. It's, you know, capturing clinical activities or automation or real-time reporting. When you take a step back and you look at this, is this very UNC specific or can it be generalized to other settings? Will people be able to take the articles that you, Adrian and Tyler have um, contributed to AJHP, will they be able to take that information and, uh, and really develop similar models in, in their, their systems, their, in their, uh, their hospitals? Yeah, Dan, this is probably the most exciting question to, to be able to talk about because our goal all along with these publications was to talk very much about the process, the steps that we went through, the how we did it. I think it became very clear to us early on that the intent of this should not be that what we put out into the literature is here are the 10 measures that you should use and that you plug and play. That wasn't what we were trying to go for. Um, instead, what we wanted to do was put out the details of the process, how we went through it, um, so that hopefully it could be replicated, that others could use um, the steps that we have outlined, the framework, um, to begin to construct um, a, a, a similar model for themselves. But knowing that, that our practice models are so varied that we didn't want uh, really and, and wouldn't expect anybody to sort of pick up that final list of measures that we have and just automatically apply them. Um, I think that would be sort of taking away the wrong thing from these two articles for us. And instead, it would be that we do feel like this is a model that we could, that others could use, and um, and then actively encouraging sort of that engagement with their clinical staff um, as well along the way to make sure that it is an accurate representation of what um, what really is happening on the day-to-day -day basis. So, short answer is yes, we do think that this could be done elsewhere, but um, really should sort of utilize many of those steps that we've laid out in the process rather than just sort of lifting that final outcome. And on that very important point, that's all the time we have today. I <laughs> want to thank Tyler Vest, 
Kayla Waldron and Adrian Simmons for joining us today to discuss the AJHP practice research reports on the decision-making framework and the formation and validation for an acute care clinical pharmacist productivity model, which was recently published on AJHP.org. Please join us here each month for discussions on contemporary pharmacy practice issues and interviews with AJHP authors. Tyler, Kayla, Adrian, thanks so much. It was great to talk with you today. The pleasure is all ours. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to AJHP Voices. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit AJHP.org.